Hey, uh, <laughs> shout out to Jupiter Ascending. Shout out Jupiter Ascending, uh, sequel one. Sequel <laughs> That's one. what we're all saying. Maybe this is the sequel or prequel, <laughs> if you think about it. Maybe, maybe Bingley is, uh, t- dimension traveling, right? Maybe mm-hmm. he's Titus, and this was his way of bringing about uh, a harvest ready situation for the earth uh, mm-hmm. during this time yeah if you watch to the post credit sequence there's just a scene where he opens up um like a carriage and it's full of bees and he's like all hail Welcome to Mortified, the Friendship Quest, a podcast where two long-distance friends bounce media recommendations, all in hopes the other will like it. I'm Aaron. And I'm the Antichrist. And this week, we exhume Jane Austen's legacy with pride and prejudice and zombies. Before we grapple with the perils of adaptation, remember you can help us on Mortified, the Legitimacy Quest by subscribing to us on YouTube, iTunes, or Spotify, signing up for a monthly newsletter through the link in our show notes, or following us on Twitter and Tumblr at MortifiedPod. Layla. Aaron. You ever read much Jane Austen? So I've actually never read Jane Austen. Uh, I have seen several film adaptations of her works. Great, great. That is um, kind of where I'm coming from, too. I watched the 05 uh, Pride and Prejudice uh, a long time ago. Um, But I am, you know, unfortunately unfamiliar with a lot of uh, Austen's work, except for, you know, what I read on Tumblr and and social media. Um, But I get the impression that her work still holds up even a couple hundred years later. Um, and like, there's a reason that, that she, as as a, as an author, as a writer has kind of persisted throughout, um, you know, Western canon. Um, and, you know, generally speaking is regarded as like, like a pretty good writer and and tells stories that are compelling and interesting and kind of deal with the struggles that we as humans have, you know, based on the ways in which we construct our lives, the, the social norms that we are still somehow, you know, trying to navigate. Maybe they're not quite as rigid as, as they used to be in, you know, like, um, I don't know if this is Victorian era, but, you know, like 19th century England, right? But we are still kind of dealing with the same, like, oh, somebody fucked up at a party. Oh, somebody is trying to, you know, get a date. Um, so, like, Jane Austen's universal um, appeal um, is really fucking being put to the test here with this uh, adaptation of the 2009 uh you know, Pride and Prejudice book and Zombies book, um, which was turned into a movie in 2016. Um, and that's what we're going to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. Uh, Marty just read a bunch of Jane Austen's books, and I trust most everything that Marty says. Uh, and they said it's pretty good. Uh, in fact, they were quite enamored with the several of the books a couple months ago. So I'm going to say that it does hold up. Um, I've seen adaptations, I've seen a couple of different Pride and Prejudices, I've seen Emma, um, and I, you listen, I'm a feminist, I'm a modern woman, but there's nothing like watching a good old Jane Austen movie and being completely scandalized by, like, social missteps, you know, being like, (gasps) they touched hands, like, the stakes are so low and yet so high. Um, A good Jane Austen adaptation will really take you along for the ride. Um, And, and, you know, in, in like, a fun, in a fun, uh, scandalous way. Uh, But, yeah, do you want to, do you want to give us the summary? Um... Uh, yeah, uh, so basically... Oh, wait, is the, it my turn? Is that what you have It is your turn. Oh, um, shit, okay, whoops, I want to give us the summary. Okay. Um, so, 
In uh, the 19th century, the English got a zombie plague because uh, they decided to do colonism, colonialism rather. Um, the funniest part of that intro that explaining how the zombies got to England was definitely the fact that they were like, oh, everybody thought it was the French for a while. Um, love an opportunity to shit on the French. Um, otherwise, it's kind of the typical Pride and Prejudice plot. So, like, Elizabeth Bennet and her sisters have to find husbands because they are all daughters in this family, meaning their father's estate cannot go to them uh, because, you know, 19th century England. Um, and, uh, the plot of Pride and Prejudice is that, uh, uh, Mr. Bingley shows up, uh, to marry, uh, the sister of Elizabeth, who's our main character, and so does Mr. Darcy, and Mr. Darcy is a little bitch, and, uh, the conflict with Elizabeth starts when she overhears Mr. Darcy basically calling her ugly, uh, and she's like, wow, what a little bitch, and, uh, you know, Austin-esque uh, social graces and mishaps and whatnot happen until uh, basically Elizabeth roasts Darcy so hard so repeatedly that he falls head over heels for her. And uh, he proposes to her once. She says, no, fuck you. You told Mr. Bing Bingley uh, that my sister is a gold digger. So no, she actually really loved him and you're an asshole. And he's like, oh, fuck. Oh, shit. I, oh, my God. And he goes and he repairs the thing with Mr. Bingley. And then he writes Lizzie this letter where he's like, actually, you know, I just, I want you to know, like, you, I'm so emo and misunderstood. And, like, I, you put the stars in the sky and, like, I love you so much. But, like, listen, I get it. I get it. You said you hate me. So, like, one more word out of you and I won't hate you. And, you know, like, I'll leave it alone. I won't ask you to marry me again. And Lizzie Bennet falls in love with a statue or whatever in the 2005 movie. And then they have this, like, beautiful romantic uh, union uh, after she's like, wow, you're, you are an asshole, but it's more awkward than asshole. And you really love me. And finally, um, I'm right and everyone else in the society is wrong. You can marry for love and money. Um, so that's Pride and Prejudice. Now imagine that movie, but they're zombies. <laughs> And everyone is kind of an emo 2016 teenager, sort of. Like, teenager as in movie teenager, as in adults playing teenagers. Um, and so there's a zombie thing, and London is, like, isolated. Darcy is a colonel, I think, or, like, a major. He's whatever. He's, he's a colonel, yes. He's a colonel. He's in the fight against the fucking zombies. He carries these flies in a little vial in his big emo trench coat because they can detect, like, uh, where the fuck um, dead They're bodies... They're corpse flies, They're right, so... They can detect dead flesh. Hilarious. Um, and so, uh, also in this world, you either get sent to China or Japan for martial arts training. Mm -hmm. This is a thread that gets dropped after Act 1. By the way, it's only relevant in the first 30 minutes of the movie, but it's like, oh, although the people who wanted to save some money, like the poor people go to China because it's cheaper. Japan's the more expensive one. And literally the entire purpose of this is so that Lizzie can walk into a room with Darcy's bitchy friends and they speak Japanese and she's like, I don't speak Japanese. And that's supposed to mean she's poor. It's really stupid and racist in a 2016 way. Um... Anyway, uh, this guy named Wickham, who Lizzie has a crush on, it turns out to be the Antichrist leading all the zombies to take over London, uh, because Darcy denied him gambling money. Uh, does that sum up this flick for you? I, there's no way to make it make sense. 
Yeah, no, there's like a subplot about how the four horsemen of the apocalypse are going to return, and there's like a cult of St. Lazarus where um, if you, the people who are only half zombie, like if they eat regular brains and not human brains, they don't go full feral. Um, that doesn't matter at all. Uh, <laughs> it could not impact the plot any any less, but um, it's just part, it, it is such a wild and tonally, you know, um, lopsided movie in so many ways. It doesn't really land in, in one place, but I think that kind of makes it charming in a way. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think you and I both kind of fell into the same place where the first act is just kind of fucking tedious. Um, it's tedious. It's like tonally incoherent. You're like, what am I watching? Darcy says some sexist bullshit and not like, what does he say? He says, oh, and her figure is light and pleasant and her arms muscular, but not in a way that makes her unfeminine. Uh, truly who wrote that? I want to have a conversation. So that's because- that's one of the things I want to ask is like how much of the weird stuff is is actually just Jane Austen and how much of it is this adaptation? It is mostly this adaptation. Ah. Jane Austen doesn't really write that much weirdness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like she, obviously like Jane Austen's writings are dated, but they're she's a woman writing like she's not it's crazy. Anyway, again, I haven't read the book, so maybe there are maybe there is some weird shit in there, but like I don't know. I haven't noticed it in any of the other adaptations I've watched, so who's to say? Um, but it's like first act is a complete kind of racist, misogynistic horseshit, and it does a terrible job of setting up the rest of the movie. But the rest of the movie is so absurd that you're kind of like, oh, okay, <laughs> we're here now. Um, Doctor more- Who's in it, like it's he just wild. The- Matt, did you watch Morbius? No, of course not. Nobody's watched Morbius. Okay, I did. So here's the thing: you're insane. Morbius. I watched it on an airplane on an overnight flight while I was having an active panic attack. Sure, okay. Don't recommend. Um. So, uh, here's the thing: Matt Smith is also in that movie, and a lot of the reviews I've seen of it is just making fun of the scene where he like dances around because he's got his like hot new morbid time body um but the thing is that matt smith in that movie knows what movie he's in and he's the only one having fun and i would like to say that it's the same shit in this movie i kind of lost matt smith doctor who matt smith really like i got kind of sick of him uh but he's winning me back (laughs) he's having fun yeah, no, you've got to give it up for an actor who's just like, I don't have to be a serious weirdo. I'm just going to be a regular weirdo. <laughs> um, yeah, I could just be a weirdo weirdo. <laughs> yeah, no, he's great. And like, I, I think the, his portrayal of Mr. Uh, Collins, I believe, in this film is is doing something that, that is just like kind of endearing and gets at the best parts of like the doctor. Like, I, I struggle with Matt Smith's doctor because like, I feel like he... Because it goes like, on forever and doesn't Well, yes, he ever. does kind of go on forever, unfortunately. He gets, like, eight different companions and just doesn't die. Um, but, like, also, you know, he he is the Doctor is, like, trying to be, like, very serious and sometimes because he's supposed to be this world protector. But he's also very silly because the Doctor is a silly character. Um, and that kind of clash I, I don't makes him a little bit uh, unlikable for me. But at the same time, like, when you get to the just, like, I'm just going to be a silly weirdo, like, in Morbius, like, in this, you know, I, I think it's a really good... Um, use of his of his skills and you got to give it up for somebody who was just like sure fuck it i'll be in this movie there is a moment i took a screenshot of it 
a screenshot of it and I put it in my notes. There's a moment where, like, there's, like, this carriage ambush and, like, all the Bennett girls have these, like, rifles and they're really mm-hmm. serious and they're gonna, like, shoot the zombie. Mm-hmm. And they shoot the zombie and Matt Smith is just standing behind them in the background and he just, he just does, like, a, and he puts his hand over his <laughs> mouth very daintily and it's the funniest moment <laughs> movie <laughs> he's, he's he knows what he's doing it's good he's having a great fucking time um uh you know what else is, i think is having a pretty good time lily allen as is that her is that her last i think name? it's lily collins lily like, collins you're check. right she played cinderella in the 2017 adaptation. yes yes it was lily collins and she or also L- played- lily james shit sorry jesus we're <laughs> we are out of our minds here out of it Lily James, who played uh, Cinderella in the 2017 live action, and also Young Meryl Streep in Mamma Mia 2. Yes. Um, I thought she I thought she knew what movie she was in. She was also having a great time. Yes, I feel like she got the right mix of, like, you know, being a weird, you know, like, uh, English woman, uh, but also is like, and I know Kung Fu. So, like, you know, it's it, it's it's a fun time. I think she's, she's doing pretty well, given the material she has to work with. Um... You know, like, I, I think uh, Lizzie Bennett in the books, you know, is a pretty well understood character as, like, somebody who's, like, you know, like, wants to marry for love and is, like, kind of, like, I'm not going to take shit from anyone, um, but also, you know, is, is a person is, you know, can have her feelings hurt um, and, you know, is generally, like, kind of a protagonist that, that there's, there's, she's kind of of a type and, and has endured for for hundreds of years because it's kind of a person that we all hoped that we are, you know, somebody who, who can stand up for themselves, who is, who is strong and willful, but also, um, you know, like has feelings and isn't just like, you know, uh, a weird robot. Um, in this adaptation, uh, she, her, I really think that like, we do get the same kind of character, but like, it's all the other, like, yeah, I would rather, I you know, I would rather die, you know, if I'm going to get married, you know, my husband will never make me relinquish my blade. Um, and like, I would rather, you know, I would rather die before I give up my Shaolin training. And it's like, huh. Oh. All right, Liz, weird, weird stance to take. Well, that's the thing. Okay, so this, the book that this movie was based off of, uh, as well as the director of this flick are both men and what they fundamentally yes. misunderstand about elizabeth bennett is that she is a she's a very relatable girl to people like me where it's like you're a feminist but you just want like you're a romantic about it and it's a hard existence and i think that's why pride and prejudice hits so hard you wouldn't mind being married to a millionaire is the thing it doesn't even have to be a millionaire. That's the thing about Lizzie <laughs> Bennett. She would settle. But, like, you know, that's the fantasy is, like, oh, he's rich and he respects my autonomy as a human being. Yes, yes. Um. So, yeah, they fundamentally misunderstand that. So she reads as very just, like, weird. She reads really yeah. inconsistent. Also, this is, like, I think, you know, this movie got caught in development hell. So I do think we are getting a little bit of that Hunger Games ass, like. You can tell. <laughs> Yeah, like, you can, I mean, one, yes, you could tell because this movie's all over the place, but, like, I do feel like we're getting, like, the tail end of the strong female protagonist, you know, ha- that has weapons, um, kind of, kind of character archetype of the, of the early 2010s, so, you know, I don't, I don't think it's the best portrayal of Elizabeth Bennett by any, any means, but, uh, I think she's fine, and, you know, uh, 
Lily James is is doing doing a good job. And you know what? She she cashed that check. Do you know who they were gonna tap um for Lily or for Elizabeth before? Uh, yeah, uh, our queen Amidala herself, Natalie Portman. <laughs> yeah, uh, fucking Natalie Portman, uh, which is hysterical. I love she that Natalie done a Portman. Great job. No, she would have crushed it. Um, and I got very much, I got a lot of uh, Natalie uh, Portman vibes. Like, I feel like she was, you know, doing the same kind of, like, serious and regal hot hot girl shit, but also, you know, in, in a very silly movie. Um, you know who else was supposed to be in this film? Oh, God, no. <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. Stop. And... Who? Mr. Uh, Bean himself, Rowan who? Atkinson. <laughs> who was Rowan Atkinson supposed to be? I don't know. I assume he would have been one of the weird, like, um, I assume he would have been Mr. Collins, right? Oh, I guess. I could see a Rowan Atkinson, Mr. Collins. Was was uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston supposed to be Lady Catherine? I have to. I, it's got to be, right? The, who else would she play? Or the mom? Or the mom, yeah. But, the, but no, J- J- Aniston, you're putting her in an eye patch. You're making her look sexy. Yeah, no, she would. We'll get to Lady Catherine because I don't have much to say about her except for the one scene, which is very funny. Uh, um, yeah. So we first we got to talk about Darcy. Uh, how did you feel about our trench coated uh, love interest? Yeah, I mean, again, I thought he was like a little bit on the edgy side, like you know where where Bennett is the late or early 2010s female protagonist darcy was very much like the late 2000s uh male protagonist very much in the or not even late 2000s but you know 2000s generally like our van helsing's our our anti-hero right he's very much of that type um again this this book was written in 2009 um so you can kind of tell where that that kind of type is coming from right um and and we'll talk a little bit about the zombie boom of of the late 2000s but um you know I feel like Darcy is trying to get at that feeling. Um, I don't, again, it really would have helped if I had been more familiar with the source material. Uh, but I do think that he does a completely fine job at being like a uh, completely uncomfortable asshole um, and just not, you know, just like offending everybody he meets and being kind of a dick. Yeah, uh, he is, uh, he sold me more in this. He is a, t- mm, how do I want to put this? He is a teenager's Darcy. He's a very unrefined Darcy. Um, he's a little bitch in all the wrong ways. Uh, Darcy is confident in his bitchiness. He's supposed to be very, uh, yes, I am here. I am serving cunt. I am, you know, like, like, fuck all of you. And, you know, Lizzie Bennett's the only one who's, like, bold enough to be like, wow, you're a little bitch. And he's like, oh, my God, you... You're right. I am a little bitch. Will you marry me? <laughs> she says no. Um, Darcy in the in this flick in this adaptation, um, in the first half, he's not confident enough in being a little bitch for it to like work on me. In the second half, though, I do like that he looks like a kick puppy every time Elizabeth's around. That's the point. Uh, there's also a very good, very funny scene where he's like supposed to be fighting off this like graveyard full of zombies, and Lizzie shows up, and she's just like chucks an axe into the back of a zombie's head and i'm like yeah this is it he looks like he looks absolutely stricken when she does that i'm like yeah this is the this is the point this is the flick good job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um do we have much to say about jane and bingy bingley uh bing well, oh, we have one very specific thing to say about bingley which is he Uh-oh. is titus from jupiter ascending 
Ayo! <laughs> shout out to Jupiter Ascending. Shout out Jupiter Ascending, uh, sequel one. Sequel <laughs> That's one. what we're all saying. Maybe this is the sequel or prequel, <laughs> if you think about it. Maybe maybe Bingley is uh, ti- dimension traveling, right? Maybe mm-hmm. he's Titus, and this was his way of bringing about uh, a harvest ready situation for the earth uh, mm-hmm. during this time yeah if you watch to the post credit sequence there's just a scene where he opens up um like a carriage and it's full of bees and he's like all hail uh and it's great <laughs> um but yeah you know i think they are cute together i think they do a good job of, of being like the the couple that's like really in love um there's a, there's a wild sequence where jane gets attacked by a zombie orphanage type deal uh, like in the end of Act One, and like it's suggested that like it might mean something more, but it really isn't. And like uh, ostensibly, if you're taking the premise at its face, like she'd be dead as fuck. Um, but she just like recovers and it's fine. Um, which is a little silly, but like I- I'm sure it's it is a stand-in for like something that happens in the actual book where like she falls ill or something. But like it's a really weird sequence that I didn't understand at all. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, I God, I can't remember. I barely remember the Jane subplot. Um, uh, Mister Wickham, I he sure shows up. Uh, I mean, he's, he's sure the Antichrist. <laughs> he is the Antichrist, the <laughs> the spawn of Satan, uh, Mister Six 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 himself. Uh, I don't, I don't know what to say. I assume that the the plot with him and uh, Darcy's like adopted father is is true for the austin you know material like like that they had some sort of it's something it's something like that it's close i can't remember the specifics but it is very like oh it seems like darcy expelled him for no reason because darcy's mean but it's Mm -hmm. like no he actually slighted darcy something yeah yeah something like that and this one um Wickham turned their their dad, their shared dad, into a zombie um, and I stole, like stole his money, which is very silly and fun. I did like uh, that because that's a very emo thing to have to do is kill your zombie dad. Uh, yeah, I'm always doing this, always saying this. Um, there's a lot of catharsis in that. Um, I mean, there is like some weird bits that I don't know if it is actually in the novel, but like he um tr- absconds with he like uh the, one of the the bennett's the daughters um he absconds with the like teenage bennett daughter and he also at one point tried to abscond with georgiana the 15 i think that's her name mm-hmm. uh the 15 year old sister of mr darcy that was not necessary to keep in this uh, i don't know i really can't remember what happens in actual pride and prejudice i with 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 that regard but i can't remember him um absconding with teenagers so in the original one i know that he does end up marrying one of the bennett daughters um the, i think the one that he he you know elopes with in in this one um but then darcy basically pays him off to make sure that they actually get married um and in this one uh wickham imprisons her in a zombie cage uh, and Darcy has to rescue her physically. Right. Um, and then he has a uh, katana duel with Wickham <laughs> after they escape. Yeah. Oh, well, now we know we went to Japan because he has money. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's great. It's stupid. <laughs> um, how did you feel about Lady Catherine? Uh, I, honestly, I was distracted by where I knew her from because I didn't recognize Cersei Lannister with dark hair. 
the only thing I have to say about her is that there, so the big reason that she's in Pride and Prejudice is like the, the big scene she has with Elizabeth is where she's like, hey, I heard that Darcy asked um, you to marry him. Uh, did you did you say yes? And she says no. And she's like, okay, because Darcy's promised to my niece or whatever. And she's like, will you never accept make make me a promise that you'll never accept another proposal a proposal from him? And and Lizzie's like, no. And like that's that's a big fight in Pride and Prejudice. In this film, Lady Catherine challenges her to a duel, um, <laughs> but then uh lizzie's like well i can't do that i would be you know drawing my sword against england and she's like yeah that's true how about you fight my bodyguard um which does who does beat the shit out of elizabeth for a while until she drops um a load of bricks on him and kills him yeah well see that's the thing is like we'll talk about this more later but it's so interesting that that became like a physical confrontation when the whole tension of the lady catherine thing is like the social pressure of the fact that mm-hmm. she has so much more power than Lizzie and the fact that, uh, what's his face? Matt Smith, Parson William Collins, uh, is like tied into this whole thing as, as the guy who would potentially be taking over the Bennett like house. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of whom Matt Smith, as we said, having a great time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we touched on this kind of already, but like he, he is just being like kind of a weird, creepy, not creepy even, but just like overbearing and like, you know, he, he thinks he's such hot shit, but like everybody's laughing at him. Uh, like he's about to like read some like, like, you know, d- sermons to them and they're all just like, we don't want to listen to this shit. Can we go do literally anything else? Um but, like, he plays into that, and he's just like, oh, no, there's a bit where um, Lizzie, after they, like, you know, got from got away from the uh, carriage ambush, um, Lizzie is struggling with all the rifles, um, and he goes, oh, let me help you, uh, and then he, like, repositions them, so that way she can carry them easier, and he, he's like, gallantry's not dead, and then he <laughs> leaves her again, <laughs> which is like, yes, that's exactly this kind of, the kind of character that you want him to be playing. There's also, at the very, very end, during the double wedding, which I fucking hated, I thought that was so it's annoying. Very stupid. <laughs> so dumb. Um, he, uh, instead of, you may not kiss the bride, he says, you may not kiss Darcy, I mean, the bride. <laughs> I really like that little, uh, uh, I like, listen, uh, it's probably mean spirited because it's, you know, movie made in 2016, but I like that little, um, fucking bisexual William Collins moment mm-hmm. that we got at the end there. I thought that was yeah. silly. It's fun. It's, it's, I'll, 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 we're, we're going to reinterpret it as fun and not, you know, gay panic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, like in general, you know, do you feel like this film was trying to evoke the 2005, um, which I do believe was Kira Knightley, right? Film? Kira, oh, my queen, Kira Knightley, yes. Yeah. Uh, um, fucking period piece, you know, you know, it, it, it is, it is the, you know, that's the thing, the reason, the only <laughs> uh, exposure I've had to Jane Austen, you know, and everybody kind of regards it as great. Um, but, like, I do feel like there are some bits where they are trying to make allusions to that that don't, like, basically ever land. Um, but it, it is a strange thing. Like, specifically, I'm thinking of when Darcy dives into a, a pool, a lake, and he comes out and he's all wet. Um, and I feel like that is a thing that happened in the 05 movie. Um, but what are your thoughts? You probably have better better thoughts about this. Yeah, so what, we can get into a fun, a fun conversation here about imitation versus homage. Because... Uh, the assembly tries to imitate the beats of that movie without understanding why they worked. Um, so, like, if you're gonna 
like the iconic thing. Okay, so there's another movie out right now that everybody should watch. It's called Fire Island. It's on Hulu. It is modern Pride and Prejudice, but gay. It takes place on Fire Island. It's uh, written by Joel Kim Booster. Uh, it's got, you know, a bunch of comedians in it. Margaret Cho's in it. It's a great film. One of the best Pride and Prejudice adaptations. Just out there. Uh, wild. So what they fundamentally understand about 2005 Pride and Prejudice is like the thing you can reference is the confession in the rain or like that the altercation Lizzie and Bennett have in the rain like they do that Uh, but in Fire Island they understand why that scene works and it's the tension of the thing that's happening and so they're not directly trying to imitate the pagoda and the rain and all this other stuff they're like okay it's raining but these two dudes are coming from like a sex party so they are only wearing like underwear and and, you know are, are standing in the rain having a fight uh so if they were I, that's like the easiest one to pay homage to but instead they decided to just like make darcy damp it's like but you don't understand why the dampness works it doesn't work on this like darcy that doesn't have the correct i refer to it as a wet energy there's just men who have a wet like they're always they always emotionally feel like they just came out of the rain and this Darcy doesn't feel wet enough for that to work. Um, that's <laughs> so I do think they were trying to evoke it, but they weren't they didn't they didn't take time to understand why those scenes worked in the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. So it just came out as like a cheap copy and therefore it didn't work and added to this like really noncommittal vibe of the whole flick. And like to to build on that, the the actual like confrontation they do have between Bennett and Darcy is is a sword fight. Um, like which was that, funny. Listen, it was a funny sword fight, but like you know I, that kind of tells you what they're actually trying to do, which is like this is an action movie. This is not really focused on like drama or you know social um, perils. Like it's it is a much more just like what if we just you know swing various pieces of furniture at each other. Yeah, I mean, okay, so that's, so, so here's, here, here's the thing, right? Um, that's a good point, because it's like, there, I think there is a way, probably, to make a Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, where, if somebody who actually understands Austin's writing and, like, has spent time with it, can find ways to integrate zombies and, like, talking about zombies into this, like, Austin-esque, you know, interpretation of the era. And mm-hmm. it could, and, you know, there's probably interesting ways to shoot it. Do you shoot it like an action flick? Do you shoot it like a horror movie? Do you shoot it like a period piece? Right? 2003 Pride and Prejudice had very 2003 camera work. A lot of it was, like, handheld and kind of shaky. But, like, the modern Emma is a- another really great Austin adaptation. Uh, is shot a certain way? Do you go accurate with the costumes? Or do you go full Van Helsing, right? Mm-hmm. Do you just go insane and have some <laughs> sexy actresses, like, writhing in the background? I feel like this movie couldn't decide which one it wanted to be, and therefore, like, it worked every other scene. Mm-hmm. Very hit and miss. I mean, overall, I would give it, like, a B, B minus. But, like, I do, I do think that, like, it worked enough times that I was fine with the times it didn't work. But, yeah, I, I do feel like there was a bit where it like they just really couldn't decide what they were going for unfortunately um yeah, b minus i think is like exactly where i would land 
as yeah. it's it's but you know what my biggest regret was the entire time i was watching it i was like this is not a movie you watch alone yes this is a film that you cannot do by yourself um it, it is hard to do by yourself certainly <laughs> yeah um one thing that got me thinking about adaptations and the liberties we feel about taking with them um was at the end of this movie right there's a big there's a fuck there's one bridge left in england uh and they have to blow it up because otherwise the zombies will come spilling out of them and destroy the whole country um and darcy and elizabeth ride over it there's a big explosion uh elizabeth survives but like for a good five minutes not even five minutes it's like three minutes but they give you three minutes in the film to make it seem like Darcy died. Uh, and then they bring him back at the end. They're just like, yeah, you were unconscious for so long. We thought you were dead, <laughs> which is really, really stupid. Um, but like in the three minutes, I thought he was actually dead. I was like, I don't know that I like that choice to, to as an adaptation. Like, you know, I, I really think that the story of pride and prejudice does have to revolve around the fact that, um, Bennett and Darcy get together. Um, and, and, like, I'm just wondering, you know, how – did you have any sort of emotional reactions like that? And, and like, you know, when when we do talk about, you know, the kinds of adaptations we, we do are seeing, especially of older older media, you know, like, what is the – I don't want to say, like, lie. It's, like, morally wrong to make those choices, right? But, like, you know, wh- why do we feel like some of those things work and don't work? Again, it's like a matter of understanding the thing you're trying to do, right? Because it felt like that scene, when I was watching that scene, what it felt like it was trying to do was the thing that uh, the end of Anastasia was trying to do. Do you remember the scene where, like, Dimitri, there's a big horse, it's a big stone horse, and it comes to life with Rasputin's magic, and then it knocks Dimitri on the head, and Anya crushes the reliquary, and then everything goes to shit, and Dimitri's on the ground, and it kind of looks like he's dead. And she's like, she's doing the, she's doing the thing that this movie is doing. She's talking to him and she's like confessing, you know, her feelings or whatever to what she thinks is Dimitri's dead body. And then he cut, he wakes up on the spot and yes. it's this huge relief. Yes. That's what happens in like all of these movies, right? Right. So this is a trope that's very common, but they don't do that in this one. No. And it's again, it's that thing where they're copying the motion, but they're not understanding why it works. So having him wake up on the bridge would have worked. I don't understand. Do you think maybe here's my my question. Do you think there was this part where he woke up, but then it changed with the rewrite and then they had to tack on that ending scene? I think I think it's something like that. Either they did fully believe he died, um, that's why they didn't use the footage for him waking up, or I think that's probably what happened. I think that they were like, yeah, we should have to kill him at the end, and then they took it back to the editors, and they're like, no, the f- you can't kill Darcy at the end of fucking Pride and Prejudice. What are you doing? And they're like, all right, we'll do a reshoot. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sure felt like a reshoot. But, like, you know, to get back to the point about, like, taking liberties with... Um, older material, I think take all the liberties you fucking want, right? Like, it's totally okay to take inspiration from from older things, but you have to understand why the thing you're, like, trying to adapt works the way it works, dissect it, and then put it back together the way you want to put it back together. You can't just, like, imitate the beats because they won't land. You have to keep asking yourself, like, okay, well, why does this work? Like, having just this, like, rando white dude adapt this, like, book written by a woman in the 19th century that was, like, so intimate and so about a character archetype that, like, girls would understand 
It doesn't work because he never bothered to be in the head of the main character, which was the reason the book works is to see from the perspective of the... Do you see what I'm getting at? Like, it's just, there's no, like, care taken with the material, and therefore it feels weird. Um, like, do you, <sighs> what do you think? I just, here's the thing. <laughs> You're going to hate me for this comparison, but I was like, you know, the thing is that, like, I think the 97 Romeo and Juliet adaptation by Baz Luhrmann works because, like, they die at the end, right? <laughs> like, they understand that the story is fundamentally a tragedy, even though they have fucking guns and shit in it. Like, they kind of know, like, the the the, the beats that are, that, that, the beats of the story that the audience wants to see, that the story needs in order to actually work, and they, they do hit them. You know, there are, like, weird flourishes, but on the whole, it is kind of preserving the, the intent of the story. Um, and I think, like, yeah, if you don't really understand why a piece of media works, you, you can't just, like, keep throwing weird shit in there and being like, yeah... This is this is good. This is this is this is a, a fun twist because like ultimately, you know, this book is you know it is a fun twist. I'm I'm happy for um fucking quirk books and the, the people who wrote it. You know, I I think that you know Seth, Seth Graham Smith is the author. Um, I'm happy for him. I'm glad he, he had a successful book. But like you know, th- and we're, we're, and I think the mo- the movie took a lot of liberties with with his adaptation of the book. To be fair, um, but I do think that this movie like does just is just so inconsistent about the the things that actually work for pride and prejudice and that's why it ultimately is in that b minus range right it just didn't ask enough questions about the source material mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. is i think where i land um yeah but yeah uh speaking of adapting source material so our marketing minute uh is uh you know the thing we do pretty often, which is, what would you do in this situation? Um, so if we were given, you know, uh, this movie had a budget of, like, what, $28 million? Uh, something like that. Um, yes, $28 million. If we were given $28 million to adapt a classic piece of media, um, what would we do, and how would we put a weird spit on it? Uh, so uh, Dracula's back in the zeitgeist with Dracula Daily. Um, I think modern Dracula should run a TikTok house. Layla, what's a TikTok house? Um, it is a house in which a lot of uh, TikTokers live and make content together. And I just think that considering that the book Dracula is written in the format of letters, um, wouldn't it be a fun time if they were TikToks instead? (laughs) (laughs) Fucking found footage TikTok Dracula. (laughs) Oh, incredible. That might actually own. I, hmm, yeah, like, just every scene is only three minutes long or one minute long. <laughs> yeah, or it's, you know, like, Dracula lurking in the back of, you know, <laughs> the characters doing, like, dances mm-hmm. or whatever. God, I want to yeah. watch a whole movie that just has the fucking uh, Kevin McCloud, you know, do-do-do-do-do-do, <laughs> shitty little TikTok sounds. God, an entire movie made of memes. That sounds terrible, actually. But... Yeah, I would, no, 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 you can't, do, you can't link those together. You gotta, you gotta fucking drip feed those to people. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. what about you you ever read or watched i guess uh heinrich ibsen's uh play adult house i did read it once upon a time okay that's it's not that i read very many plays at all um it's that this play came up in my like world literature class in high school and i read it and i was like oh this kind of rules um 
and it still is to this day my favorite play um, that 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 I've ever seen uh, or read rather. Um, but basically, it's the the premise of like this kind of like shitty husband who is like controlling about his wife and thinks she's just like a little child. Um, and I would just do that, but uh, characterize it as like. I, one of our, you know, tech billionaires, a Zuckerberg, a Bezos, I, I specifically uh, Elon Musk, and um, I was thinking of Grimes uh, when I when I pitched this, and I was like, what if this was about Grimes uh, breaking up with Elon Musk? Um, and uh, yeah, that is that is the annotation I would do. I think I would make uh, millions of dollars on that I, premise. I like the Grimes thing a lot, especially because there is a point at which you could insert the whole Azalea Banks thing. Do you know what I'm referencing? No. Azalea Banks got trapped in Elon Musk's house because she went over to record a song for Grimes and Grimes forgot. For like two days, Azalea Banks was just like stuck in Elon Musk's house. Okay. (laughs) Also, I finally heard a Grimes song against my will. How was it? Bad. Okay, well... (laughs) It's, it's bad in that way where, like, I'm like, ah, I see why Elon Musk likes this. Mm-hmm. Very good. Excellent. Well, uh, shout-outs to Grimes. Hope you're doing well, girl. Um, I hope your kids are doing well. You? Yeah, maybe let let them have a... I don't know what they're... I think it's a boy. Let, let him have a normal name, please. There's two of them now. There's two, okay. Yeah, well, let, them have, let them have normal names, Grimes, Let them have please. normal names, please. Um, anyway... Well, on that note... A lot of detours in this episode. Listen, we are t- taking all sorts of weird <laughs> um, road trips on this on this very strange episode. Um, Layla, when we are not uh, trying to drag billionaires, um, where can we be found on the internet? Uh, I'm at L-E-Y-L-S-E-S on Twitter, Tumblr, and Instagram. Just, you know, hanging out, working on slowly getting my life back together. Aaron, what about you? Find me on Twitter at AaronSXL, where I tweet about tabletop RPGs, health policy, and writing. Uh, I do tabletop reviews at AA Voight on YouTube. Um, I do another podcast with my friends Michael and Josh at The Bible Boys. It is our spooky season over there as well. Um, I watched two films involving the Antichrist this weekend, and they were very different. Uh, We watched the 1976 Omen, uh, which unfortunately was a much better film than Pride and Prejudice and Zombies. Uh, Still fucking weird, though. I think both of those films could have uh, lost 20 minutes and not really suffered for it. Uh, But it was a good time. Um, our theme song is Obsolete by Keshko from the album Filmmaker's Reference Kit Volume 2. You can find more of their music at keshko.bandcamp.com. Layla, do we have any uh, words of wisdom we want to impart to our listeners before we say goodbye? Sure. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a zombie in possession of brains must be in want of more brains. <laughs> Great. We'll see you all next week.